Today's scripture comes from John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, and Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah, so today we're going to actually be thumbing through a few um, scriptures, including the ones that were just read. But we're going to stay pretty much in the text that were read, but there's going to be a few others. So if you have your Bibles or your uh, phones, or whatever you use to read your Bibles, it might be good to have it handy. Um, John seven thirty seven to 39. Um, I have it in the NIV, so I'm going to read it from here, so we ha- we're all on the same. On the last day of the feast, the great day, John stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus has yet to be glorified. It says, so I've been a Christian for most of my life, um, and I've read this passage many, many times. Jesus says that if we believe in him, then rivers of living water will flow from within us, from within us. The spirit will flow from within us. That's what the Christian life will look like, Jesus says. But I've often wondered, as I've journeyed, what does this mean? What does this mean? And how come my life doesn't feel this way? The other text we read, Ezekiel 36, 27, is where God gives Ezekiel, it's in the Old Testament, so Ezekiel is a prophet. So God gives Ezekiel a word about what will happen in the future. So Israel is in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the ability to obey God's law. So God says, I will put my spirit in the future. I will put my spirit in you, and then I'm going to move you to follow my statutes or decrees and care, be careful to keep my laws. God is saying He will put His spirit in them, and then He's going to move them. Why? Because they couldn't do it on their own strength. They couldn't do it on their own. God needs to do it in them. In other words, His spirit will fill us, and then His spirit will move us to obey. It's exactly what Jesus is saying in John, the flowing of the Spirit from within us. I didn't know what Jesus meant, but I knew deep in my heart that this is what I wanted and this is what I needed, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. But first, I want to touch on a picture of spiritual growth that I've held for most of my life. See, for me, spiritual growth always felt like you're climbing up a mountain, you're climbing up a mountain. It looked like an upward journey. So as you go along the way, you grow and you become stronger. You add more knowledge of God and knowledge of the Bible. You add more serving of the church. You know, you, you add more things like you do, like evangelism. You add more devotion to God and prayer. And as you go, you become more able. You become stronger. You become, you know, better able to love your family or friends or kids or your 
your um, your neighbors, your coworkers. You become more bold in your in your sharing of your faith, and as you go, you grow more in wisdom. So you're getting bigger and mightier, and you just grow a bit more able. But then what happens is these bumps come along. For example, um, my wife Carissa and I sometimes you know we would have disagreements, and and you know we do things that upset each other, and. And if she does something to upset me, in my mind, I just keep replaying the situation over and over, thinking of all the ways that she has wronged me, and how she's done it in the past, and she's doing it again, and how I feel disrespected or unloved. And I start, in my mind, I start condemning her or judging her. I know I need to stop, but I just can't seem to do it. The thoughts keep running around in my mind and in my heart, and I can't seem to control it. And then I start feeling guilty. Why can't I stop? I'm supposed to love her. Does this, I don't know if this sounds similar to some of your situations, but maybe it's not your spouse, maybe it's your other family members, or your friends, or your boss at work. Perhaps it's, your, it's, it's my kids. They do something wrong, and I get overly angry with them. And then guilt hits. And I tell myself, the next time I'll be better, and then it happens again. Or maybe it has to do with different things like habitual sins, or maybe it has to do with self-image, how I look at myself, or how I think other people look at me. And you know these thoughts keep running and running in our minds. And I don't want to be controlled by these things, but I just, can't, I just keep being controlled by them. And there's so many things, lust, uh, in the internet, things, constant things of things to buy, or unhealthy images to see images to see on the internet. So there's so many things. And as I walk this Christian life, so I learned to manage these habitual sins or these sinful habits as best as I could and keep telling myself to serve God more, read more Bible, pray more, read more books that can help me. So then the spiritual growth, for me, it didn't feel like what Jesus is speaking of. Rivers of living water flowing from within. It didn't feel like the Spirit of God moving me to obey. It felt like hard work. And many times it felt like a lot of failure and learning to better manage my sins. So Romans 7, 18 says this. You know, Paul is reflecting on a life apart from the Spirit. So Romans 7, 18 in the ESV says, For I have the desires to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I have the desires to do, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is Israel's story in the Old Testament. They had the law, but not the ability. They couldn't obey. They didn't have the ability to carry it out. So, Ezekiel, so God speaks to Ezekiel in our passage and tells him that one day, one day he will give them the ability, because that's what they need. He will do with is, what Israel couldn't do on their own strength. God will put his spirit in them, and his spirit will move them to obey. It will be a God thing. So then, why was my life experienced more like Old Testament Israel, and not like what Jesus described in John 7? Aren't we not in the new covenant of Jesus? Why didn't it feel like a life where rivers of living water was flowing through within, from within me? I think the answer can be seen in Galatians 3.3. 3. So if you, it's just one verse, I can read it for us too. In Galatians 3.3, 3, 
So Galatians, especially in three, Paul is chastising the Galatian church because they were measuring their spirituality by how they follow the law. So Paul rebukes them, basically says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? See, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? I think the Galatians had the same problem I had. Paul is saying, when you believed, you were given the Spirit of God. But now you're trying to move forward and grow by your own effort and by your own striving. When I first came to believe in God, it was God revealing His love to me by His Spirit. But as I grew older, I found myself defining my spiritual life and relationship with God by how much I read the Bible, how faithful I was to the church, how much I served, how many, how many spiritual books I've read, how I kept myself from different sins. Uh, it was a lot of striving, a lot of trying. It's a lot of sin management, a lot of performance. When I did these things, I felt better spiritually. But so often I found I couldn't even meet my own standards. I couldn't control my anger with my kids or with my wife. I couldn't stop feeling insecure when I compare myself to other people or stop from judging others. So I just kept pushing harder and harder. Next time, next time I'll be better. And then if failure comes again, then guilt hits. I was trying to complete in the flesh what began in the spirit, as Paul said. So if the Christian journey is not this upward journey of becoming mightier and mightier and more able, then what is it? Well, if it's not upward, the only other direction is down. Down. It's a, it's a downward journey. And before I you know, describe what this means, um, I want to look at Romans 8 for a bit. It's a, it's a popular chapter. See, Romans 7, Paul sets up a problem. Romans 7, he says, Paul says, I can't do what I know I should do. And I do what I know I shouldn't do. Something is in me that is making me a prisoner of sin. Who's going to rescue me from this? How can I get out of this life? In other words, how can I get this river of living water that Jesus is talking about? How can I have that kind of life? The answer that Paul poses in Romans 7 is Romans 8. Romans 7 is Old Testament Israel. Romans 8 is New Covenant Christian. In Romans 8, Paul describes how we can live a life where we can actually do what we, actually do what we know we ought to do. So I'm going to read a big chunk of Romans 8. Um, you can follow along with me. I believe it's, I wrote it down here in the NIV, but it might not be. Um, it's either that or ESV. So I'm going to read Romans 8, 1 through 17. Pay attention to uh, how often and how the Spirit is at work. So, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because he was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in the, according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of, the, because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him you cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if you are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. So notice how many times Paul speaks of the Spirit here. See, the answer to the life under the law, under the flesh, the answer to that kind of life is where we do not have the ability to do what we ought to do. The answer to that kind of life is a life led by the Spirit. When we read Romans 8, we see that the Spirit is very, 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 very active. The Spirit sets us free, verse 2. The Spirit controls our minds and gives us life and peace, verse 5. We're controlled by the Spirit, verse 9. The Spirit lives in us and will give life to our bodies, verse 11. By the Spirit's working, we can put to death the different habitual sins, verse 13. The Spirit confirms our sonship, our being children of God, by crying from within us, Abba, Father, verse 15. And if you keep reading Romans 8, you see in verse 26 how it says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then the Spirit himself intercedes for us in prayer. So the answer to Paul's dilemma in Romans 7 is Romans 8. The Spirit will lead us. The Spirit will help us. And the Spirit will set us free. The Spirit will control our minds. And the Spirit will do all of these things. It's the answer. In other words, Paul is saying, what began by the powerful work of the Spirit must not continue with human effort. It must continue and finish by the powerful work of His Spirit in us. And then what happens is Ezekiel 36. He'll put his spirit in us as he has put his spirit in us for those who believe and his spirit will move us, will move us and give us the ability to obey. So what is this life like? What is this life like? So there's a few images I'm uh, going to try to use. So the first image is imagine with me an empty vessel. This vessel is empty. Okay, it's a vase, a vessel, whatever. Now, this is what it's like to begin in the spirit and then, tr- and then finish by human effort. We fill this vessel with lots of things, lots of things. So mo- some of us might fill it with good things, as you have learned as you grow up in the church, if you have, but just good things like Bible knowledge, serving the church, reading spiritual books. These are good things that we need, but we just fill this vessel with these things. Uh, some of us might fill this vessel with not so healthy things like love of people's praise, you know, love of money, love of comfort, love of materials. And then this vessel gets full, fuller and fuller. And our life feels more like sin management. So this is how I, I felt. 
But the kind of life God wants for us is to be filled with His Spirit and for His Spirit to move us. If this vessel is filled with other things, there's no room for the Spirit of God to move. What God wants us to be is an empty vessel for Him. So He can come and fill us and move us. And that's the only way. So the Christian life isn't an upward journey of greater heights of ability and wisdom. The Christian journey is downward to deeper surrender, deeper surrender to the Spirit of God and to His Word. To the Spirit of God and to His Word. This is why Jesus says true worshipers must worship in what? Spirit and truth. It's not higher and higher giving us a false sense of spiritual, I don't know, sense of maturity or ability or heights. It's lower and lower to embracing the truth that as Jesus spoke. Apart from him, we can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we're just, you know, we're just a branch that is tossed into the wind and burned. We must cling to the vine every day, emptying ourselves of anything that gets in the way, and then surrendering to him, receiving from him all that he has to give to us. Offering this empty vessel, surrendering and saying, all I need is you. It's a life of surrender. A life of dependence, dependence, a life of dying, as Jesus said. And when we come as this empty vessel, God will surely fill it with himself, giving us the power of his spirit to overcome sins in our lives and to live holy and pleasing lives unto him. We'll be able to do things we couldn't have done before. Repent of wrong, forgiving our enemies, loving and not judging, not keeping a record of wrong, especially to those who do wrong against us, giving generously instead of hoarding. See, the Spirit will dwell within us and move us, move us to love. And I believe that we can experience the Spirit, the power of the Spirit flowing within us every day because that's what Jesus intended, flowing through us. This is what he meant, that he will put, that's what Ezekiel says, he will put his Spirit in us and move us to obey him. This idea of spiritual growth is actually very hard for us to accept. Um, I have to repeat myself, repeat to myself this every day, all the time, because it's so opposite of the worldly sense, of just a natural sense of growth. See, a child grows up and becomes more independent and more free. See, they can do things as they grow up that they couldn't do as when they were kids. So they're growing up, you know, stronger, more able, more wise. And a plant goes up from a small plant to a mighty tree, from weakness to strength. It grows big and mighty. So in the natural world, things grow like that. But a Christian growth is unlike natural growth. A Christian does not grow into independence. A Christian grows into deeper dependence. Or as Jesus says, becomes like a child. See, the journey is opposite. A Christian does not grow to be more powerful and more able as if you reach a certain state where you can always love people. It's not like that. It's a, it's a constant life of dependence. A Christian learns to become nothing, just as Jesus became nothing. And we continue to cry out, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we cannot obey. 
We cannot love. We cannot be patient. We cannot be bold. We cannot. So the Christian journey then is embracing this fact. We're simply a branch. You know, we're simply a branch. We're not growing stronger and more able in our of, in ourselves. We're simply learning to be a branch, completely dependent upon the vine to provide for us every day. The food, the nutrients, the strength, the love, the, the patience, all that we need to live a life pleasing to God and a life of victory. The branch doesn't tell, what, tell the vine what, it, what to give. The branch simply surrenders and the vine gives. And Jesus is the vine. If we surrender ourselves to him, if we go lower, emptying ourselves before him each day, he will fill us and give us strength. Rivers of living water will flow from within us. So what does this look like practically? Um, what helps, I was thinking about this, what helps is to see people in history um, and how that has helped. And um, a person I want to touch upon is one person, you know, his perspective on this is Jonathan Edwards. So Jonathan Edwards was known for his role to just, um, if you know uh, Christian history and American, American Christian history, um, one of the greatest awakenings and re- revivals in America. Um, it was known as the Great Awakening. The Puritans, they came, from Amer- from, came to America with fervency of faith, but then with the increase of wealth, they grew complacent and the church attendance dropped dramatically. And it was in this time that God raised up people like Jonathan Edwards and some others to awaken the church and, and, and to bring the power of his spirit into the church. Now, when, we, when many of us, if you've heard of Jonathan Edwards, uh, you would think about all, you know, he's a mighty man of God, a brilliant mind, a thinker, a theologian who could expound on the scriptures like no, a few in history could. And all that is true, all that is true, but as the revivals were forming around him, and the Spirit of God was moving powerfully around him, something was happening in his congregation. What became common was that as he was preaching, people were starting to wail, to cry, to screech loudly. People were overcome, and it got really loud and emotional. Many times it was interesting. Many times Edwards had to ask his congregation to calm down so he could finish his sermon. There was such a strong physical and emotional response to sermons that he wrote a book called Religious Affections, which, is a, which was about this kind of stuff. The basic thesis of this book that Edwards writes is that true religion, I want, I want you to get this, true religion in great part consists in holy affections. So he says, true religion in great part consists in holy affections. So what I believe Edwards is saying, is speaking of, is that if we're to have true and real experiences of God, it will in large part look like real and actual moving of our inner being by the power of the Spirit. It's not just emotionalism. It's not just emotions. It's not just superficial. It will, it's, it's not just feelings-oriented, but it will include the emotions. And it's more than that. The effects are deep. It will involve our whole being, our minds, our feelings, our hearts, and it will bear fruit, fruit of the Spirit. So I believe what Edwards is touching upon is what we're talking about, being moved by the Spirit of God, as Jesus said, the river of living water flowing from within us. This is real, this, these are real and actual encounters of the Spirit of God that we can have that affects our inner being. So Edwards calls this true religion. 
these experiences are not simply what we experience once in a while, like in a mountaintop somewhere. These experiences are for every day. So D.L. Moody, another great evangelist in American history, he says, the fact is, we are leaky vessels. We're leaky vessels. We have to keep right under the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ to have fresh supply. You know, we're leaky. So we need to keep under the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ. What these revivalists are saying is that we must have deep inner being experiences of the Spirit of God each and every day. The Spirit of God must flow from within us and move us to truly obey God. It may at times be like, you know, what Edward's talking about, what happened at Edward's time, wailing and crying and loud. It may at times be what the disciples felt as they were walking on the road to Emmaus, just a burning in our hearts as the word is being expounded to us. Or it might feel like something else. But whatever it feels like, the most important thing is that it's real inner being experiences of the Spirit of God. And because it is the Spirit of God moving us, it will produce fruit in keeping with the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. <clears throat> I want to share, um, just to give you a reference point of how it feels like for me, um, and for, you know, God is a creative God, so he can give us different experiences of him. For me, this is how it feels. You know, for um, over the past, I would say, two or three years, God has been giving me experiences of of him when I pray and worship or when I'm just walking around sometimes as I surrender myself to him. And what it feels like to me is it feels like a cool wind blowing through my body. Uh, it's an increased sense of intensity. So when it happens, it could be like, you know, I could be walking around outside over 100 degrees, and as, I, as, I, as I'm praying, it was as, if, as if the Spirit of God is blowing within me, and I, this is the physical manifestation that happens, and I will sense faith rising. As I look around, I could sense a greater love for people. Just not my love, not my love, just a greater love for people. I will sense joy in being a child of God. Sometimes I could be in public, I could be sitting at Starbucks or somewhere, somewhere, and then all of a sudden, would, the Spirit of God would move, and I would start weeping. And I'm, I'm not the kind of person who will weep in public. I don't like to show emotions in public too much. But I would just start weeping and weeping, because somehow the Spirit of God just caught attention to my heart and my mind, and it was something was happening. Um, one of the fruits that happen is, is there's a deep clarity in my mind. And it's as if the scripture passages that I've read before would just come and just be repeated in my mind. And you know, well, and there's a deep sense of clarity. So let's say, you know, I had this argument with my wife again and I was going through the whole, you know, what I was talking about before about judging and stuff like that. And then as I submit myself to God, it's as if there's clarity. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to repent. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to ask for forgiveness. And then there's power to actually go and do it. You know, there's one sense you know, but then there's actually the motivation and the power to go and do it. And that's how it, it, it that's kind of one way in which God has been revealing himself to me. Is, and this is the fruit. The fruit is that there's power to actually live out what the fruit of the Spirit is like. Love, joy, peace, patience. And my mind gets cleared up and it's now in control by the Spirit, at least in that time, in the time that it happens. See, I feel like for me, God is giving me a taste of what it's like for Ezekiel's prophecy to come to life. 
the Spirit of God moving us, moving me to obey. And I believe God wants to put it, to do this kind of work, to do His Word, you know, what His Word said in all of us, to move us to obey Him by the power of His Spirit, to experience Him, to enjoy Him, and to have the ability to choose life. For me, it's this physical manifestation that leads, uh, that, you know, if I surrender myself to Him to bear fruit. So I don't know what it'd be like for you. You know, God is so creative. If you look in the history of the Christian church, there's so many different ways that God has interacted with people. God is a very creative God. But I do believe that God desires for all of us to be led and moved by His Spirit daily. And as this happens, real ability and power come. Strength will come, you know. Strength will come as you wait upon the Lord. Real strength will come. The Spirit will give us ability to love the ability to forgive, the ability to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, the ability to repent. He leads us to reconcile with our families, to be the first one to say that you're wrong. Through him moving and leading us, we'll even love our you know, enemies. The Spirit of God will be put in us and move us to true life, the real kind of life that God wants for us a life full of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So Romans 8 will come alive, and the law of the Spirit of life will set us free from the law of spirit and the law of sin and death. So some people, as I shared this, some people um, might think that I'm putting too much emphasis on emotions. We must ground ourselves in the truth, not emotions. You know, that's, I've heard that. Um, I agree with Jonathan Edwards when we say that re- true religion in great part consists of holy affections. That's what he says. It's not, about, it's not just about the emotions. You know, it's not just about the emotions. It's about the Spirit of God touching our lives and moving us, as the scriptures said. Of course, this can affect our emotions. I mean, imagine, imagine you being embraced by your mom or dad, and they say to you, I'm so proud of you. I love you. I mean, that will affect us emotionally, but it's not just an emotional thing. It's going to affect our inner being. And if that happens on a human level, what happens if God touches us? You know, God, who we say our Abba Father, touches us. Of course, it's going to have some kind of emotional response, but it's, it's so much deeper than that. It affects our inner being, who we are. And this is what God does. He renews our mind. He heals our hearts. He heals our inner being, including our will, our minds, our emotions, all that we are, and moves us by his spirit. Rivers of living water flowing, through with, flowing within us. As I've shared this kind of life of, of entering into a su- surrender, as a surrendering life, a life for us, we must have the spirit of God flowing continually within us, you know, as I, um, as I share this, many people have, you know, asked me, so how do I get it? So what do I do? You know, what do I, how do I, how do I experience this spirit in this way? Nothing, nothing, nothing is forced. Nothing can be earned. You know, this is, this is the gospel. Nothing can be earned. Galatians 3.3 3 made that clear, you know. But then if you read a little bit further to Galatians 3.14, 3, it says, Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham must, might come to 
to Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive this promise of the Spirit. By faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The promise of being filled and moved by the Spirit is for all of us. The promise of rivers of living water flowing is for all of us. And the way we receive it is by faith. Now, there's no formula, but if I had to just give a few practical steps, I would say, you know, look at Jesus' words. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So thirsty. First, we need to be thirsty. So let our hearts, let our souls cry out to God. Cry out to God for more of him. Our souls must learn to be hungry and thirsty. If you don't know this hunger and thirst, I would give this very practical suggestion. Fast. Try fasting for a few days, or if a couple days is easier, try fasting for longer, maybe a week. And notice that as we begin to know physical hunger, learn to cry out for spiritual hunger. As we experience a deep physical hunger, ask him for a spiritual hunger. And if we ask him, he'll give it to us. So we have to learn to be hungry and to be thirsty. Second, Jesus has to come to him. Come to him. Come to no one else. Come to Jesus. Only Jesus can provide the water. No one else. This means surrender to him and him alone. Everything else in this world, in this world doesn't satisfy. Only Jesus can give what we long for. This is just simply to recognize the pattern of life that Jesus said. Apart from him, we are nothing. We're just branches. That we need him. We need to be stuck to the vine. And then third is to drink. Come to me and drink. Scripture tells us that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. Sometimes the waiting is long. Sometimes waiting for this is short. But those who wait display their faith that God will do as he says. And then strength will come. We will drink. His word and his promises will not return to him empty. He will do as he promised. He will fill us. He will move us by his spirit. And he will strengthen us for life and joy. I want to close with this image from Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 36, we read that one verse. Ezekiel 37 is also a popular, um, there's a popular image about, and it's, a, it's an image that, I, for me, shows revival. Revival. Um, but revival starts in our hearts, in each one of our hearts. And Ezekiel 37, we have a picture of a valley of dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel, it's a valley, a big valley in this dry bones. It's a, it's a vision that God gives to Ezekiel. So God, Ezekiel is seeing there's a lot of dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then God says, then God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath or spirit, or wind, which are all, um, in, this, in the Hebrew, they're all the same word. I will make spirit enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath, or spirit, in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And this is exactly what God does in his vision. The valley was filled with dry bones, 
symbolizing humanity being dead as dry bones, then the entire valley of dry bones comes to life as God breathes in them. And they begin to have flesh and life. And then there's a mighty army of God. This is a picture of revival. This is what God wants to do in all of us and the whole world. He wants to blow his spirit into us and give us life. He wants to give life to every dry bone as he blows his spirit and his breath into us and gives us all a life. Let's just surrender to the spirit of God and to the truth of his word. And the call for us then is to come hungry and thirsty. Ask him, ask him, ask him. Keep asking him until he gives. He's not a stingy giver. God is not a stingy giver. He loves to be asked. He loves to give to those who wait and trust in him. For me, as I journey in this, I feel like I just tasted something of so much more ahead of life of joy, a greater joy, being led by his spirit, being led by his spirit every day, of experiencing him every day, of being revitalized every day. This is what God wants. It's a revival brewing in all of our hearts. A treasure that you find in the field and you'll sell everything for that treasure, you know. And my heart is for everyone to experience the Spirit of God in greater and greater measure. Me included, all of us, every day, in whatever manner God desires to give to each person. Again, it might look different for each person, each each person, um, but just ending with this one verse again that Jesus says, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, heal our hearts in the places that have been wounded in life. Heal us in the places that we have been um, caused pain or trauma. Heal us that we might give all of our hearts to you and that you might fill us and move us. Give us liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Show us that. Give us more of that each and every day. And give us power to love our families, to love our neighbors as you lead us. We need you. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.